0: recognize a new face <laughs> on stage. That is not a new face. Welcome back Will and his family who moved to Austin briefly, and now they're back. So uh, we are blessed with um, more strings. All right, let's just worship God together. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four.
1: stand for our call to worship from Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. One, two, three. One, two, three.
2: heavenly father lord we just thank you for this glorious day um, to remind us that you are in control lord that the the rain falls from your word to nourish your earth to grow your plants to take care of your people lord so we just thank you for all those reminders of how involved you are with us and how much you actually love us lord we do ask that that you be with us now lord just help us turn our attentions towards you Uh, we'd like to take a moment to just kind of clear our hearts of anything that may be holding us back, any unconfessed sins, any disputes, any unresolved issues. We just want to take a moment to lay those down at the foot of the cross uh, so that we can, in fact, turn our uh, attention towards you, Lord. So, again, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for uh, just the reminder of how much you do love us and and how much you do for us, Lord. And uh, we just turn our attention towards you now as we worship you today. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.
0: is from Romans chapter one verses 19 to 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his internal power, and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. thank you for this truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you that is our source of truth. And um, we just, we praise you. Every knee and every tongue on earth will bow and proclaim your greatness. And um, we look forward to diving into your word this morning. We ask that your hand would be upon Tom as he um, brings us the word. Go ahead in our hearts and um, open us to understand you better um, through the teaching of your word. We ask for a special blessing on our children, Father, that um, you would help them know you in some way better today, um, to know that they are loved by you, they are chosen and created and designed specifically by your hand, and that they belong to you, Um, in Jesus' name.
3: I on now? (laughs) That's how you get them to turn your volume up. Just a little trick of the trade. I want to be heard, Troy. I'm bringing the Word of God. Yeah. (laughs) But I love you guys back in the sound booth. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. Thank you for your service to Christ. And you're humble, Sean. You're humble. Uh, Welcome to Hope. I'm Pastor Tom, and as we worship God together here today, several things I want to remind you about, one of which is to please communicate with us and let us know what your prayer requests are. Whatever's going on in your life, we would like to know about it so we can be lifting that need up in prayer. So communicate with us either on this card or you can uh, click through our website and send an email to us that way if you wish. Also, a good reminder uh, that... We have a kids printable that we put out every week, and I want to encourage parents, you'll you'll receive this by email if you're not here in person, um, but what you are about to receive over the course of the next several months is pretty cool. Uh, we are starting a sermon series today where we are going to sort of do a sweeping overview of the entire Old Testament before Easter, and then... The week of of Palm Sunday, we will begin a study through the New Testament, and we will look first at the Gospel of Matthew and the resurrection as it's accounted there. And so then we'll go through the rest of the New Testament from Easter Sunday forward. Uh, But I would just encourage you, what I hope you will do during this series is a few things, that your kids can follow along with you with our Hope Church Kids printable which is available right there on that stool if you want some, and coloring pads, et cetera. Um, And then you can have those conversations with your kids as you get this overview on Sunday morning and on Tuesday nights in our Zoom Bible studies. You can also sort of follow along and build your understanding of Scripture. I'm hoping that many of you We'll choose to read certain parts of Scripture every week as we go through this. So I'll give you on Sunday morning the background for a particular section of Scripture. Then I will give you assignments of what you can read that week that will help you, that background will help you understand better what you're reading. And by the time we're done with this, we should all have a better grasp of the big picture of God's word and how each passage within that big collection fits and points to the cross and leads us closer to Christ. So that's the idea. This is, uh, <laughs> I don't think this is an overstatement. This is the most ambitious sermon series I've ever undertaken. Uh, we're going to do the entire Bible in about six months, all right, um, and we're not going to try to obviously cover every verse, but we're going to hit the high points and do this kind of sweeping flyover. But by the time it's over, you and your kids will have an excellent sort of overview thematically of not only each, bo- each portion of scripture, but how those portions point us to the cross and give us hope and relate to our everyday lives. So that's, the, that's what I'm hoping will happen. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens, but that's what I'm hoping will happen. And uh, so, to that end, this week, we're going to start on Tuesday night. We're going to restart our Tuesday night Bible studies. Those will be focused because the first week of the series starts in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. It makes sense. And we're going to study the book of Genesis on Tuesday night. And so, here's how this is going to work, we, or we, how we think it's going to work. Um, we've had a really good, steady group of folks who've been Zooming in on Tuesday nights for Bible study, and so we're going to try to keep that group largely intact, and then we're going to try to build a second group of folks that we're hoping will come, because of this sermon series, to be part of the Tuesday night Zoom Bible study. And we're hoping that having two groups meeting at the same time will allow for better discussion and uh, rather than one large group, we have two smaller groups. Um, and so those conversations, that dialogue will be done. We'll have a portion of it together, and then we will break out and do separate discussion groups for the study. Is that, that, that's what we're hoping to do, and we're, so we, we don't want to interrupt the good flow we have with the group that's been meeting but we want to offer this to new folks and sort of enhance the the total number of people that are engaged in God's Word this way. So that's what we're doing. That's all we're doing this week is Tuesday night, Zoom Bible study at 7. The following week, I think, we'll kick off Hope Fit, and at some point, we'll resume our Wednesday night groups on different themes. We'll talk about that more later. But this week, we just want to focus on uh, getting all of us into the Tuesday night Zoom Bible study, as many of us as we can. Uh, do, doing our overview of Genesis, breaking out for study and discussion. So that's what we're trying to do. I hope you will Zoom in and uh, watch us mess it up. It's kind of fun. Because um, I've never done a Zoom breakout before, Pebby, so you can you can just laugh as you sit there with your Zoom PhD and uh, watch me like delete everyone from the meeting inadvertently or something like that, which I have done in the past. It's, it's rather impressive. I don't think our Zoom account allows for a co-host, does it? Oh, unless one host. I can co-host. I think you're right. All right. So consider yourself the co-host. All right. Very good. Um, but uh, that's what's going on. So that's what we're going to focus on. And you know what I think? I think since it's 40 degrees and raining, that nativity scene looks great right where it is. (laughs) It is just, it's just beautiful. Just, we're going to enjoy it a little bit longer because, you know. Oh, the river walk is leaving the lights up until Valentine's Day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It works for me. Uh, We lost the Virgin Mary last week, she like got blown over in a windstorm, we lost like two sheep and Mary, so she's, I think she's back up, was she back up when you drove in this morning, anyone, anyone, I stood her back up and nailed her back down, but I don't know, yeah, she didn't complain, she was a champ about it, Um, so, all right, what am I forgetting? Okay. John. We will take down the Okay, so the interior Christmas decorations can go in their respective bins and we'll throw them up in the attic when we're done. Thank you, sir. So we'll we'll de-Christmas the inside where we can control the climate and we'll let God tell us when he wants the nativity scene down. I mean, he likes the Holy Family, so he can have it there as long as he wants. Um What uh, the men's meeting, is January, the 22nd. January 22nd, which is a Friday night, right here, 7 o'clock-ish. Yeah, Details, to Details coming soon. Um, all right, what else did I forget? I women's, craft day women's Craft Day. I've got all this in writing. You gave it to me. I don't know why I'm not reading it. When is this? January the 30th, that's a Saturday, all right, nine to three, for our crafty women. All right, will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we thank you for this community of faith to which you have called us to be a part. We thank you for um, all that you do uh, here at Hope and through Hope. And we pray that you would be glorified this morning as we worship you through your word now, that uh, your word would be alive and moving in our own hearts, that you would open our hearts as we open your word, that you would read what is there and reveal to us what we need to confess and what we need to give to you and release to you. And, and what we need to take away and take into our hearts uh, as a result of meeting you through your word here today. And to that end, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts, that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our sins and our failures, and we thank you for the forgiveness and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would lift our heads to the hope of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. and. That you would remind us that we are seated with him at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. That that would provide strength and hope for us in every day of our lives. And Lord, we lift before you uh, those who we know and love who are sick, who are facing uncertain diagnoses, recovering from medical procedures, and we pray that you would pour out your healing mercies upon your people. We pray especially this morning for Linda Harris as she continues through her cancer treatment. And we just pray you would use that process to pour out your full and complete healing upon her body. Lord, we lift up those who grieve. We pray your comfort over them. We think especially this morning of Ann Topperwine and the loss of her father. And we just pray your comfort and peace in her heart and throughout her family uh, that they would uh, find you present and real to them in these times. Lord, we lift up our country and our leaders at every level of government elected and appointed. And we pray for wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We pray for peace and unity in this land and we pray that it would start with us, that we would be voices of uh, your love and grace in this dark and hurting world. And Father, we lift up our men and women in uniform all over the world and we just pray your protection over them We give you thanks for their willingness to serve, to defend, uh, and protect the constitution of this country. And we just pray, especially for those who are separated from their families or those who are in harm's way, that you would bring them home safely. Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We pray that your word would go forth through your people and that it would continue to not return to you empty. And Lord, that... You would be at work through the church plants of our denomination uh, to extend your grace in this country. We lift up our church plants that are in Texas, in Katy, in New Braunfels, and in Austin, and we just pray your grace and mercy over those works of your spirit in those places. We lift up our missionaries around the world uh, that we support, and we just pray that you would Continue to use them to shine your light in their regions of the world. We think of Paul and Elizabeth Branch in Guatemala and John and Diane Davis in Laredo, Texas. We lift up Pastor Miguel and his wife Tatiana at our sister church in Kamahuani, Cuba. We lift up Patchy and Marilyn Quesada in Havana, Cuba. <clears throat> we lift up Robbie and Joyce Hamd as they continue to serve uh, the extension of your kingdom in Beirut, Lebanon. And we lift up Monica and Benjamin Bailey as they continue to serve you in the Middle East, and we just pray your blessing over them and over what you're doing through them. We pray you would be with us now, uh, inhabit uh, our opening of your word with the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, to the glory of your name, by the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. All right, so here we go. Um, I I stated this earlier, I'll, I'll try to restate it. In a slightly different way, but our hope is that as this series unfolds, you, each of you, will gain a deeper understanding of sort of the the full uh, beauty and context of God's word. So that as you study, as you open any portion of the Bible, you have a better grasp of what it is you're reading and what it says to you today, and. So to that end, we're, we're doing this sort of running survey through the scriptures. I, I think this will be fun. I think it will be insightful. And I think it will also be uh, very um, helpful to each of us on a personal level because God's word is really where we derive our strength. It's the force in our life that grounds us. It's that fixed and unchanging rock that we define ourselves from. And as we better understand it, we better understand ourselves, which is not always pleasant, but we also under better understand the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And so this series is about following a single promise that God gives to his people as it is developed throughout the 66 books of the Bible, or the, we call them 66 books, they weren't originally collected that way. The Jewish People have a different way of counting what's a book and what's not a book. For example, First and Second Kings, we consider two books. The Jews consider that one book. Who cares, right? It's the Bible. It's the holy, living word of God, and we need it. And so to that end, we're going to uh, open God's word and begin this process of looking at the single thread that runs through all of Scripture and ties it all together uh, in the hope of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as he is presented to us in God's Word. So I'm going to start with um, the beginning, Mike Clifton's favorite Bible verse, because Mike Clifton played a lot of baseball when he was younger, and he just loves the fact that the Bible starts with, in the big inning. <laughs> Get it? Got it? Good. All right. And so we're going to start at the beginning, and we're going to talk about, we're going to look at, this is a survey of the book of Genesis, and as we open the book of Genesis, we see God at work creating the universe and the world in which we live. And as he does that, there are several interesting things that happen, Um, but the beginning is where we're going to start, because it's, you know, the beginning. But we're looking for, in this first section of the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters, we're looking for the promise of God in four different events. The first of those events is, is the event of creation, which is sort of... Um, the event that doesn't need a promise. When God creates the universe, it is without sin, it is without flaw, it is without uh, the need for a Savior. And so we get a glimpse of this beautiful idea of God creating the world and humanity in harmony, in peace, and in relationship to Him. So, The promise is first seen through four events. The first of those is creation, where the standard is set, the standard of harmony and peace and goodness reigning throughout the universe. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The second event that we're going to look at is the event of the fall of humankind into sin. You know the story. It's Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. God has created them in his image. They're living in harmony with each other and with their creator. And then stage left, the serpent. And the serpent deceives the woman into thinking that, that if she eats this fruit, she will be like God. This is the ultimate temptation, right? If you just take a bite... Of this fruit, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. She, he even tells her, you, you won't die. She says, no, 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 God said if we eat that fruit, we'll die. He's like, no, 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 you will not surely die. When you eat of it, you will be like God. And the woman eats and gives it to her husband, who's sitting there watching this whole thing unfold like an idiot. And... um. They eat, and they sin, and the entire world changes. Everything is different now. And you know the story. Adam and Eve, they go and they, they hide from God. They clothe themselves because they're feeling shame for the first time in their lives. And they go and are found by God who calls them out, and then he calls them the serpent well he says to the man what happened the man points at her bravely bravely points at his wife says this woman that you gave he's got fingers going in every direction but his own he's like this woman that you gave me that's yeah you did this she did this whatever he's a it's it's really hard to read cuz it's so me <laughs> um and god Says, turns to the woman, and she points at the serpent, which is actually accurate. Says, you know, he convinced me to do this. And then he turns to the serpent, and he says, you know, woe are you, uh, and you are forever going to be eating the dust of the earth. He took the arms and legs of the serpent away, um, and there this thing lies in the dust, and God says in that context, he, well, I'm going to read that in a second. But so the second event is the fall of humankind into sin, and we see that sin destroys the harmony of creation that, that we saw set up in chapters 1 and 2. And so think about that. Humankind existed at one point with no conflict, no war, uh, no lack of communication, honey, that's my fault, right? I, didn't, I don't communicate well at home. Um, but there was none of that. There was just total openness, vulnerability, honesty, communication, love, grace, truth, all of it together in harmony. And then Sen enters the picture that harmony is broken, harmony between God and man, harmony between man and woman, harmony among all of mankind. And you see in the first generation after Adam and Eve... Of the people who were born into this state of sin, you see violence and conflict and murder emerge almost immediately in the story of Scripture after the fall. So the fall in the fall, sin destroys the harmony of creation. Adam and Eve are cast out of this place of good and peace and provision in the Garden of Eden. I'm going to read just one verse from Genesis chapter 3. This is God speaking to the serpent in the wake of the introduction of sin into the world. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his feet, his heel, excuse me. So this is a bit cryptic. But in God is stating this reality to the serpent, he says it in front of Adam and Eve. And because he is giving the serpent his reckoning and extends this, this distant but clear uh, metaphor of defeat, Adam and Eve have hope that they're not going to be forever bound by the evil that, ha- that they have succumbed to in their temptation. That there is, there is a promise here in these words that God will prevail over evil. And so we have, even in the, in the very first chapter where sin is introduced to the human condition, we have this promise from God that he will reckon with evil, that there will be one who will come who will crush the head of the evil one and allow humanity to emerge from their sin back towards harmony with one another and their creator. and But God implies this will come at a cost. It will come at the cost of being snake bitten. This This one who will crush the head will have to have his heel bitten and he will die. And so this whole idea of a promise and a Savior and a Messiah is set in the very first passage where sin is introduced into the picture of Scripture. And so, the third event that we want to look at is the flood. So you have creation, the fall of humankind, and then the flood of Noah. And to just put this very simply, God looks at that humanity, after several generations of sin, defining who they are, and he sort of shakes his head and he says, I don't think you understand. What I'm talking about here is a matter of eternal life and death. And I cannot tolerate the presence of sin in the midst of a holy and sinless God. And so I want to demonstrate to humanity how serious this is. And God floods the earth. And darn near everyone dies. And from that reign of death, God saves a small family. He starts over. And this is a really important idea that, that sin reigns in humanity and it swells to this point And then God starts, it hits the restart button through one person. And in this case, it's Noah and his family. One person and his family, I should say. So you'll see this pattern repeat itself throughout the Bible. But for now, God in the wake of the flood, he looks at Noah and he says, listen, I've made my point. I I want you to understand this, what I'm telling you, what I'm calling you toward is really important. It's It's a matter of eternal life and death. And So, in the flood, after the flood, God gives Noah a sign. He's like, "I'm not going to do. I'm not going to pour out my judgment that way again. I'm not going to flood the entire earth and wipe out the mass of humanity like that. Um, I promise. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hit the reset button in a different way from now on. And so that promise is sealed with Noah with the sign of the rainbow." God gives Noah the sign of the rainbow. He says, "Whenever you, whenever there's rain, at the end of it, you will see the rainbow." And it's sort of a beautiful expression of hope that that there there are gloomy days, there are gloomy years. I think we just had one, um, and this one's not off to a ragingly great start either. So hold on, um, but there are there are bad times. There's devastation, there's despair, but there's always hope. And so this promise is set before us. Genesis 9, verse 13, God says, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. This promise of God is expressed in Scripture through the word covenant. A covenant means a cutting. That, that there's a cutting of flesh that, that leads to, to blood. And God says, I've cut my covenant with the earth, that I'm not going to do this this way again. I'm going to hit the reset button differently. And then we see, we see this recur at the Tower of Babel, later in the book of Genesis in chapter 11. And here's what's going on. Mankind is is together. This is the cradle of civilization in, uh, in the fertile crescent of Mesopotamia. And man has discovered a new technology. We call these bricks. And with the firing of bricks comes the promise of building. And one of the first things that humanity decides to do is to build a pyramid that will reach heaven. And God is sort of looking down, shaking his head, going, I gave you all this ability, all this capacity, all this creativity, and you want to take my place. You want to do my job. You're not content to just do your job, to fulfill your calling. You want to build yourself up to the point where you don't need me. And God just shakes his head and says, nope, it's not going to happen that way. And there there was some ability that humankind had up until this point to communicate with each other freely. And God says, I'm taking that away. I'm going to force you to communicate through language. And so, multiple languages, in fact. You're going to have to figure it out for yourselves. And so humankind is, is forced into this position where they can't communicate with each other any longer, and they disperse. And this is where God fills the earth with people, people spread out from this point all over the globe and populate the earth. This is the beginning point. And in this event, we see, again, in this pattern, that human scheming, human sin, yields dispersal. Not unity, not harmony, not the convergence of good, but the dispersal, the the breaking up, the spreading out, the destruction of harmony, peace, and good. And so these these are very ancient stories, and they're intended to sort of help you understand the basic fundamental principles that are involved here. That when sinful people pool their resources, it gets really ugly and disharmonious, and people get greedy and... Uh, prideful and hurtful and mean and violent and cruel. And you'll see this as you read through the book of Genesis, these early 11 chapters, you will see this pattern time and time again. God hits the reset button and people are okay, and then they devolve into hatred, contention, division, and violence. And so here we are in these first Four events, these sort of back and forth between the goodness of God, the potential in a humanity created in the image of God, and the ways in which that potential is destroyed by sin, greed, and violence. And so the promise in those first four events in Scripture, and then we shift. God hits the reset button in a different way he hits the reset button with a man named Abram. And Abram is living near this fertile crescent area, and God comes to him and says, move, pick up your stuff, get out of here. I'm taking you somewhere. And God moves Abram to the land of Canaan. We call that land today Israel. Um, And Abram follows God. But we learn very quickly that Abram is not a very good person. He, he lies about his wife. He says, no, no, she's my sister, and then gives her as a wife to a king. It's like, dude, that's creepy, right? And he's, the whole time he's scheming as he does this. He's, he's using his wife as a way to advance his own cause his own self his own well-being and he he's a liar he's a schemer and he's not very kind to his wife and that's not even strong strongly put enough um and yet this is the person that god points to and touches and says i'm going to se- i'm going to hit the reset button through you i'm going to reestablish my promise to overcome evil for humanity, and I'm going to do it through this bomb, right? And so when when, when I come to the cross, I can look up, and I can say, okay, if God could choose Abraham or Abram, he he can choose me. Because here's what you don't know about me. You don't know what's really in here. Right? And it's not pretty. Uh, there's, there's one of you in this sphere that knows me pretty well. Her name is Kathy. I happen to be married to her. She's my first wife. Um, sorry, it's a bad joke. Um, Lois isn't laughing. She's like, I'm going to kill you. I was like, okay. <laughs> Just takes me back to this, this Genesis right there. Division, hatred, violence, it's all coming together right here. I'm not going to live through the rest of this day, I don't think. Um, my point is that, that each of us are Abram. Each of us are Sarah or Sarai as she begins the story. And, and she acts out of fear and insecurity um, and takes an action that, that still this day has cultural consequences that there's still violence between people groups because of a decision that Sarah made out of fear and insecurity. And you could, you could say Abram did the same thing out of, out of greed and, and self-interest. He perpetuated all these, these people groups that still don't get along. Um, so here we have, and we're going to look, we've seen the promise in four different events and now we want to look at the promise in the, as it comes to one family. God hits the reset button. He chooses Abram. Abram receives the promise and the sign. Remember that when God told Noah, re, hit the reset button with Noah, he gave him a sign. When God came to Adam and Eve... At the end of the, the chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, at, in their sin, he gave them a sign. He killed an animal and covered them in the skin of that animal. So you see this pattern of, of blood or death, a sign, a promise. It's all, it's all sort of unfolding before us. Abraham receives the promise and the sign. I'm going to read two verses from Genesis, uh, tw- one from, tw- from 12 and then one verse from Genesis chapter 17. And I will make of you, this is God speaking to Abram. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then a few chapters later, God says this to Abram, or to Abraham in this case, I think, yeah, um, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. Um, again, there's a promise of blessing all nations through the descendants of Abram. And then there's the sign that is that is given by God that seems weird. I'll give you that. It's a little creepy. Um, but it involves blood. And it also indicates that There will be a son someday who will be born, who will bleed, and his blood will provide atonement for our sins. His blood will fulfill the promise of God to triumph over evil, not just in the world, but in my own heart. And so all these seminal metaphors are set in place in the early stories of Scripture, and we've seen this this shift from four events to the, to the way the promise is put into the heart of one family. And so Abram, God renames him Abraham, the father of many is what the word means. And you know the story. He and Sarah are getting up in age. They're probably in their 90s. And they've never had a child. And God tells them this, gives them this promise that your descendant, meaning through Sarah, your descendant, will be the the family that blesses the whole earth. And Sarah laughs. And God says, "Uh, bad idea. Because I made a promise, and I plan to keep it. And so the next person in this family is Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah, who was born naturally to them in their old age. And Isaac proves That God's promise is alive. Even in the face of total impossibility, God's promise is still alive. Do you need to hear that? Do you need to hear that God's promise is still alive? Regardless of the impossible odds that you face of what seems like a no way prospect, God says, I make a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so... We see in each of these episodes of God hitting the reset button and extending his promise into the future of his people, we see these points of light for ourselves. That we need this. We need to see these things. Um, Isaac proves that the promise is alive not just through his birth, but you remember the weird story where God tells Abraham, Take your son up to the top of this hill, and kill him as a sacrifice to me. Terrible story, really. And yet, God is placing the imprint on history of his plan, of his heart, of the way in which he works. And he's saying to us who can see it, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a promised son, a son who who is born into the realization that my promise is alive, and he's going to go up on that hill, and he's going to be sacrificed. And that sacrifice will bring forgiveness to God's people. It will begin the process of reversing what happened when sin entered the human condition. This is a little bit crazy, but do you know what hill Abram took Isaac up to to sacrifice him? Anyone? Anyone? What? People are mumbling. What? Speak up, child. Eventually, it becomes known as Golgotha. And Abram takes Isaac up to this hill to sacrifice him. That's the hill where Jesus will die for our sins. That is the very piece of earth that the blood of our Savior will be shed upon. Holy mackerel. Um, And and I still manage to doubt that God knows what he's doing. I still second-guess him. I still grab for my own. I still... Yeah, you get it. But Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Isaac proves that the promise is alive, and his son Jacob, one of his sons, proves to us that the promise is unconditional. It, it, when you read this story this week, I hope you'll notice, Jacob, when, when his brother comes out of the womb, they're twins, Jacob is literally holding the heel of his brother as his brother is born. Um, that term for heel catcher, heel grabber, is an old Jewish phrase that predated this birth it meant like schemer, the one who trips up someone else to gain advantage over them. It meant kind of like scumbag. Um, and, and God totally redeems this name, but later in the story, as Jacob grows, he, he goes off to get a wife and he's coming back to the land where he he tricked his brother out of his inheritance, his older birth brother. He tricked him because he's a trickster. That's probably a better term than scumbag, especially if you know someone named Jacob. I have no objections to the name. It's actually a good name to name a child um, because no one knows the story. Um, but anyway, um, here's where I'm going, that... Jacob has made a, a life, an identity, out of scheming, out of being a trickster, out of taking advantage of other people. He tricks his own father out of his brother's birthright, etc. tricks his brother. He's not a good person. He goes off to another land to get a wife. He tries to trick his father-in-law, who then tricks him, and he ends up with two wives that are sisters. Bad idea. <laughs> really bad idea. Um, and... So he's coming back to the land of Canaan, and he 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 literally says to his wives and his kids, he's like, you know what, my brother's over there. I'm pretty sure he hates me because I tricked him out of everything. Um, it looks really dangerous. Why don't y'all go first, and I'll wait over here on this side of this river just in case it goes badly, <laughs> right? What a brave guy! And so he sends his family across the river, and God visits him at night. And they literally wrestle. They wrestle in the night. And in the process of, of this wrestling match, God stops at the end and he's like, okay, I want you to understand this is who you are. You are a self-interested trickster. And when you come in contact with me, it's a wrestling match. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something right here. I'm going to read you this passage. That, that This is what... This is how God responds to Jacob. Then he said, this is God speaking, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. What God is saying is he redefines us by his grace. Um, Instead of wiping Jacob off the face of the earth, God says, well, let me remind you who's boss, and he kind of touches him on the hip and causes him to limp for the rest of his life. And He says, but I don't operate that way. I operate by grace, and I'm going to change your entire identity from one who's a trickster to one who who struggles or wrestles with God. And the word Israel actually has double meaning. Sarah's name, Sarah, Israel, Yisrael, Sarah means princess or one who reigns, a female who reigns. Israel can mean one who reigns with God. The L on the end is the term for God in Hebrew. It's an abbreviation. And so Jacob's new name has double meaning. One who wrestles with God and one who reigns with God. Or if I can put it this way, one who now wrestles with God but one who will reign with God one who will sit at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, because of what Jesus Christ did for him or her. And so we have then the story of Jacob's 12 sons who become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, We're going to talk about one of those named Joseph uh, who proves to us that the promise is stronger than evil. His brothers sell him into slavery and then years later, you should read this for yourself. It's in the book of Genesis. You should read the whole story. The, verse, the chapters are written there for you, Verses, chapters 36 through 50. His brothers sell him into slavery. And then when they fall into famine, they have to go to Egypt for food. And who's in charge of the food in Egypt but the brother they sold into slavery? Oops. And Joseph points out here in these words, Genesis 50, verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so the operation of God and the fulfillment of his promise brings life. It, it brings hope. It brings the acknowledgement that good will prevail over evil, that God can use anything for his good. And we have the story of Judah, another story you should read. It follows, he's Joseph's brother. But the reason this is important, Judah has, he's not the firstborn who would have borne the right to rule over his family, but his older brothers who were ahead of him in the lineage, they messed it up so bad, God was like, nope, 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 I want you. Judah was not a good person either, but a great name for a kid right? Judah was not a good person either. God will redeem this. But um, Judah, well, read it, read it for yourself. It's, it's pretty scandalous, some of the things that he does. Um, but he proves to us that the promise will be fulfilled in spite of our sin. That our sin cannot stop the progress of the promise of God in our own hearts or in the world. That it doesn't matter well, it does matter how bad we are, but however bad we are, it's not going to um, stop the progress of God's love in the world. And so through these people, through this family, we see this idea of blessing coming down, the promise being pushed through this messed up, dysfunctional family. Uh, they're really, they're they're bad people. Um, but I want to read this. This is... At the end of the story, Jacob, the father, Israel, is giving words of either prophecy or blessing over his sons, and this is what he says to Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Do you know what? tribe Jesus was born into the tribe of Judah Jesus was a human descendant of this man He is the fulfillment of this promise God is at work literally so many thousands of years ago I can't even count them to set in place the the promise that he made to Adam and Eve, in such a way that when it's fulfilled, we can go, whoa, whoa, whoa. He said this way back. He's been aiming at this one goal the whole time, and that's how I would like us to conclude today. We're going to jump from the first book of the Bible all the way to the last book of the Bible, because I I want you to know that the promise points to Christ. Jesus brings all of this together. I'm going to read one passage out of the book of Revelation, and then we'll talk about it briefly. Just to set the context, The John, the author of Revelation, has been taken up to heaven. He's standing in the throne room, throne room of God, and God is holding the scroll of, I think it's like human sin or something like that. I, I haven't read that part recently, but... This scroll is like a big deal. And to take the scroll from the hand of God, one must be sinless. And John is like, oh, man, this is bad. God holds out the scroll, and nobody stands up to take it because no one is worthy. And there's a pause in heaven as people contemplate the gravity of the situation, and then someone stands up, and he looks like a lamb who's been slain. And he stands up and takes the scroll. Let me read this to you. I'm going to read verse 5 of Revelation chapter 5 and then verses 9 through 10. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So here, what do you see? That the promise that was given signs that involved blood, Uh, and death, and it pointed to life and good overcoming evil, God prevailing over Satan. All of these promises, the promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through his descendant, which is Jesus, who poured out his blood as a sacrifice to fulfill the promise, to seal the deal, literally, of our salvation. This Is God at work from beginning to end? His death for our life. His blood for our atonement. His gathering of people versus the dispersal of people that comes through sin. A man, one man, who hits the reset button for the last time. One man who gathers God's family together from all nations, fulfilling God's promise to Abraham. One man who is king of kings and lord of lords and the prince of peace. This promise is ancient and it is living. It is eternal and it is yours. (laughs) All of this history All of it, for you, individually, is is one solitary arrow aimed at your heart. God wants to break through the, the crust of the sin in your life and shine his light and his love to where you don't believe it belongs. Because you know, you know what's in there. I know what's in mine. I want you to leave today with the clear sense that your creator is one determined individual who will overcome sin in this world and in each of our hearts. Will you pray with me? God our Father, we marvel at your word, at the ways in which you can actually weave history into the fulfillment of your promise, that somehow when we were scheming and killing each other and hating each other and fomenting division You gave your promise to sacrifice your son on that hill for our sins that we could know what forgiveness and peace are truly like. Lord, it is beyond humbling to contemplate the the fact that your word has been at work for millennia upon millennia and that it's all pointing at each of our hearts at the same time. Father, may that truth reorient who we are, rename us as those who both struggle with you and those who also rule with you because of what the promised Christ has done for us. Lord, bring us to our knees in worship and call us to our feet to carry the light of your love into this dark and hurting world. Thank you for the gift of your Son, for the promise that you have woven throughout your word that we might have hope and grace eternal in Jesus name we pray amen
4: i see shine. There's nothing to do. Nothing to do.
1: is the offertory portion of our service. This is when we think about um, how we can offer ourselves back to God. And so we do that in lots of ways here at Hope. It's not just about financial giving, even though that is an important part of it. Um, there are, there's a bucket in the back in our Western theme back there that you can put money in, or you can do it um, online. I believe we even have a QR code on the back of our bulletin to make it easy. Um, it is a very important part of our spiritual maturity that we would trust God with our finances. But we also want to give of our time and of our talent. There are so many ways that you can give back to God. But we also take this time to just think about what we've learned. And one, good job teaching the entire book of Genesis today, Tom. Well done. And thank you for being the type of pastor that would take on such an ambitious sermon series. This is going to be fun and <coughs> I'm sure a little bit exhausting for you at the same time. So, But this is going to be awesome. I look forward to just being able to have a better understanding of the entire Bible so that when I'm reading any singular portion, I kind of know where it belongs in the overall framework. But when I think about this book of Genesis, I a couple of things come to mind. One, God's got this. At no point was he ever surprised at any one of these people and their sin. And two, it seems like God likes to show off because he's always pulling the worst people to redeem. And then I start looking around at this casket cast of characters around here, (laughs) Cask? did I just slip up on that, cast of characters, and it seems like he's doing the same thing because he's choosing the worst, that's this guy, and he's redeeming me, and it doesn't, he's never surprised by my sin or by my circumstances, he's got this, and it just gives me comfort to know that when there, you know, the storms of life come along, God's got this. It doesn't matter what the circumstances feel like, he's got it. So why don't you think about um, how God's word is affecting your heart today, and we're going to do some silent prayer, and then I will close this in prayer together. Father, you are so good. Your mercy and your grace are new every morning, and you are never surprised by our faithlessness or our sin. Yet you are perfect. And from the very beginning, you knew that we would fail, but you always had a plan to redeem us. Thank you for sending your son to do exactly that, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be saved. Lord, I just pray that we would love you more each and every day and that we would be transparent with each other and with the world so that they can see how awesome and how powerful you are, that you can take someone as awful as myself and redeem us fully and seat us at your right hand. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Will you stand and let's worship together and um, put this song in our mind? Let's let's head into our week full of full of praise. And this is another peek at that heavenly scene. Tom just read, yeah. um, so let's fill our um, our mind with this beauty as we worship and head into our week.
4: you mm-hmm.
3: God. So here's, here's what I hope we will all do together. Open, open your Bible this week. Read, if you read nothing else, read the first three chapters of Genesis. Chapter one, creation of the universe, crap, chapter two, the creation of humankind. Chapter three: the introduction, the beginning of sin, and the f- the birth of the promise. And I will I will be sending out uh, various points in the week a text reminder of what passages you might choose to read that day. Follow along, read what you can when you can. Uh, zoom in Tuesday night, and we will we will look more deeply at the book of Genesis and how it points us to. Uh, the gospel of god's love through jesus christ that's what we're that's what we're trying to do is uh facilitate the the breaking of god's gospel into our hard hearts um so join us in this endeavor and we will uh, try to keep you posted and keep you current and then we'll we'll discuss and dig a little deeper, et cetera but Tuesday night at seven is all you need to worry about at this point and a little bit of reading between now and then i'll send you some reminders. But do not, do not leave this place without taking God's blessing with you. Don't leave this this gathering virtually or or present without knowing that God loves you and his blessing goes with you from this place to, to rename you, to redefine who you are and how you live. Will you open your hearts and receive the blessing of our Lord today? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May you go in his peace.